Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Father, thank you this day for the, this is the day that you have made for us to rejoice and be glad. Thank you for your presence in our lives. Thank you for family and friends that love Jesus, Lord. Thank you for an opportunity to share good news. Thank you for being able to receive the word of God. Thank you, O God, that we have time not only to be hearers of the word, but doers, O God. Thank you for our wives, our husbands. Thank you for our marriages and our children. Thank you for family. Thank you for the church. Thank you for your benevolent and sovereign providence over our lives. We pray, Father God, that you continue to keep us safe, that you direct our steps, that your word would be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, that we not go astray, Lord. We pray, Father God, that you continue as the potter molds the clay into the vessel that he will use. We continue to be molded into a manner that will bring you the most glory. We pray that your word would not return void, but that you send it out to perform that which it intends to do, and that it would be a good seed planted in good hearts that would bring forth good fruit, O God, that we might live a life that honors you. Father, and anything the devil tries to do in our life is not greater what you are able to do. So we are more than conquerors. We are more than victors. We're not victims, O God. We're champions because of what you did on the cross, because of the calling upon our life, because of the Holy Spirit. We pray, Father God, that you use this word for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, and amen. We've been coming in a progression of teachings talking about the land of Beulah. And in the land of Beulah, you get into that land by the preaching of the word. Not one of us is here without the preaching of God. The, the fruit of the preaching of God is that we actually get to be right with God. Um, uh, one of the things that we did early on when people would preach to us is make fun of them. I don't know if you did, but I, the people that came to talk to me about the Lord, I, I called them James Jones. I told them they were a cult. I told them that they were being brainwashed. I, I made fun of them and... and I think that that in itself, uh, if I were these preachers that were trying to preach to me, uh, I, would, I would have said, well, then you go to hell. How about that? As a consequence of the mockery and the fun. But the response to preaching that we see in the repentance is, is something that allows us to participate in the land of Beulah. We said the land of Beulah is the invitation God has to a land that flows with milk and honey. It's like your life at its best expression, the dream that God created. I come from a lineage of men and women who, who really didn't listen to the word of God. I, this is about 10 years ago. My father, uh, who's here today, he says, Joaquin, uh, let's go have lunch because I have a friend of mine that's coming from Cuba. And so his friend that he hadn't seen for a long time, over 50 years, was finally coming to Miami, and he had called my dad, and he says, I want to have lunch with you. And so the gentleman shows up, and when he shows up, he shows up with a yearbook. I don't know if you guys know what a yearbook is, but the yearbook is the, the time my dad graduated from high school. And I opened it up because I wanted to see what my dad looked like, and he looked just like me. <laughs> I was like, this guy was handsome. 
And next to his picture, it says, there's no one like Raul Molina. He makes fun of all the preachers. I was like, no. So at 17, my dad was making fun of all the preachers. And I thought my dad had never even heard the gospel. Um, he would later on in his life at 48 come to Jesus Christ. But at 17, when they preached to him, like the Estrada brothers here, there were 17. My, my dad was 17. And when somebody came preaching, he was like, Bleh. So he made fun of them. And, um, and I said, why did my dad make fun? If my dad wouldn't have made fun, then I would have been one of those babies being presented to the Lord here. I, I would have grown up in the house of God. I didn't get to the house of God until I was 16, 17. I was a devil. I was, I, was, I was rebellious. I was disobedient. I didn't know any of the word of God. By the age of 17, I couldn't quote to you one verse in the Bible. The, the Bible, I said last week, was in our house. It was up against the wall. It was a, a decorative book. It was a holy book. Uh, we never read it. It was just over there, and every time we looked at it, we would go, whoo, 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 and we would besignai. We would do the sign of the cross, but we never read it. I started reading the Bible when I was 16, and the first thing I read, um, who preached to me was a nine-year-old little cousin. She looked at me, and she says, Waki, you're going to hell. It's like, I haven't killed nobody. Why am I going to hell? This little, my cousin started going to a Christian church. She started going to youth group, and she knew I was, I needed to, I, she knew she knew she had to capture my attention, so she didn't spend time talking to me about Jesus. She just looked at me with that little finger. She's a little midget, and she says, you're going to hell. I think I was making fun of her. I think that's, the, that's why she, you know, she just took me straight to hell. And, but that brought the fear of God in me, and I went with her to her youth group. I went to her church, and, and at her church, I was invited, and, and I asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart when I heard the preaching of the gospel. I heard God's plan for my life at 16. I didn't believe it. I was like a little bit weary, but then I responded by repenting. I said, God, forgive me. Um, in, in, if you grow up in a black church, it's easier to know what to do when the people are preaching because they, they, they wrote a book about black churches and he says, these are the five responses that you're supposed to be yelling while the preacher is preaching. They wrote a book. It was a black church. That says, as the preacher preaches, the people must be yelling five words. Ready? Here's the first one. Help them, Lord. Exactly. That was good. I need some of that help. While I'm preaching, if you go help them, Lord, then the Lord will help me. Emmanuel, do you want to do that? Tell, help him, Lord. Yeah, there you go. But I want to hear it because when you're saying it, I'm like, okay, I got God's help here. You guys have no idea what it's like standing up here looking at 250 people, all kinds of like, oh, brother, and twirling their eyes. And uh, one person is like this. I see the, their tonsils. One day I'm going to get a picture, I'm going to, I'm going to get a Zoom <laughs> photograph of each one of you, and we're going to watch it, the slideshow. But it's a terrifying thing being a preacher. So in a black church, help them, Lord. <laughs> Feel free to do that from time to time, you know, because it, it, it does help. The second thing, the second word that they say in a black church is, well. <laughs> so it's between, help them, Lord. Well. So this is a question mark at the end of the well. Well, 
That, that, that's a person that's listening and they're like, hmm, where do I fit this in? And, but they're, they're being attentive to the preaching. They're, they're like, well, how, how, how does that make sense? Help them, Lord. Well, number three, they'll stand up and they'll say, that's all right. Richard, try that one. That's all right. Man, this church is coming alive right in your midst. Help them, Lord. Well, you guys don't believe me that this is a book. This is an actual book written by a preacher. The five responses in a black church. Number, number four is, amen. amen. They, they hear the preaching, they're like, amen. Um, the last one was the one I heard when I first came to the church, and it, almost, it made me run outside. I just left because there was a little old lady at the back, and she would always go, Gloria, hallelujah. I'm like, I'm out of here. I can't, I can't take the outburst of religious exuberance. So let's try that. Glory, hallelujah. So as we're preaching, you're like, well, or help them, Lord, or that's all right. That's one. And then the last one, glory, hallelujah. You'll notice that in the congregation, this is called the gathering of God's people. That's what the church is. It's not critics and it's not cynics. It's not unbelievers. It's not cowards. It's not people that are angry at God. So, so everything in response to the gospel is like, let it come. Let it do its work. Lord, I'm open to it. Give me more. Show me. Open my eyes. And so here, um, Romans chapter 2 verse 4 it starts saying that all that God is doing that is good is to lead to our repentance. Knowing that the goodness of God leads you to pre repentance. Preaching is the goodness of God. The fact that God would send somebody to you to speak to you on his behalf is only God being good. Because God could ignore you. God could throw you into hell. There is not one person in hell who has not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not one. And I asked God, why are you so mean and throwing people in hell? He says, no, no, you got me wrong. I've invited these people to come and they refuse to come. So it's not me. The people that end up in hell are the ones that have rejected the preaching of God's word. So you start adding, how many times have you rejected God's hand reached out to you? How many? I was talking to a guy yesterday. He goes, I don't have time to go to church. That's what he told me. And then he said like this, and then we kept on talking. He says, I love to go to the beach. I love to go to the dolphin games. I love to go play golf. I love to play bowling. I love to go out with my friends. He started saying, he, yeah, help him, Lord. <laughs> he told me all that he does but he has no time for God. And that broke my heart. Because it was, uh, it, was, it was a contradiction. 
He's doing all these things. And, and, and so one of the people that were at the Billy Graham crusade at the burial, the Billy Graham burial, was Johnny Erickson Tata. At the age of 18, she went out to the beach with her friends. She dove and broke her neck. And she's been sitting on a wheelchair for the last 50 years. Since she's 18, so she's like 58. Okay, so she's 68. Um, the scenario is that she's in a wheelchair. And so a lot of us are doing all these activities and we're, we're, we're doing all the activity. We never come to the house of God and say, thank you, God, that you let me swim, that you let me dance, that you let me, you let me be with my friends, we play football, basketball, baseball. We're, we're out and about, but we don't have time for God. Let's go back to this. The goodness of God leads to repentance. When you hear anything coming from God... If you, if, you, if you can perceive that this is a God message towards your life, you can say, God is being good to me. Yes. Amen. Amen. God, yeah, help them, Lord. God is being good to me. If, if the preaching of the word, if I'm sitting before a place and the word is being preached, that's the goodness of God. And, and my response... The way I reply, because we don't even know how to reply. If, if God is being good to you, then the response is one of two things. Either you harden your heart, verse 5, look what it says. In accordance with the hardness of your stubborn heart. If you harden your heart, and you're like, I don't like this preacher. I don't like what he's preaching. And you spend your life rejecting what the preacher says. You harden your heart. You are treasuring up for yourself wrath. There's going to be judgment, righteous judgment. When God reveals, when everything is said and done, the preaching had come, no repentance. You hardened your heart. You were stubborn. Then there are consequences. That will write. Verse 6, it says, however, God in his judgment will render to each one according to his deeds. Verse 7, but eternal life to those who by patient continuing, doing good, seeking glory, honor, and immortality. There's something about the preaching that leads you to greater relationship with God. When I was 16, I didn't have a clue what God wanted. I wanted what God wanted, but I didn't have a clue what that was. Today, 35 years later, I'm living a dream. I'm living peace and joy and prosperity. I'm living a relationship with my sons that I never even dreamed possible. I was going to have sons all over the place that hated their father because I was living rebellious outside of God. But, but good, glory, honor, and immortality. Verse 8, let's read that. But those who are selfish and ambition, those who are saying, God, not what you want, but what I want. Those who do not obey truth, but they are obeying unrighteous. They, you, I don't have time for God, but I have time for all this stuff, right? They can't obey God, but they, have, they obey indignation and wrath. I don't know what the expression of that is, but it's ugly. It's vulgar. It's twisted. Help them, Lord. Verse 9, there will be tribulation and anguish. For every human soul, there's going to be tribulation and anguish. For who? For those that do not receive 
the preaching, that do not have a proper response. For every soul of man who walks evilly, first Jewish and then Gentile, the Greeks, the non-Jew. Verse 10, but glory and honor, inner peace. Glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what the preaching is talking about, what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, to the Greek. Verse 11, for God shows no partiality, making one more important than the other. God, God doesn't, I, I had friends growing up with me, they heard the preaching too, they had a different response. They didn't say, I'm sorry, Lord, I want what you want, change me, transform me. They said, I'm going to do what my, they had a different response. And if you have a different response, you end up in a different place. When, when I go to a person's house and I tell them, listen, God wants this for your life. And, and here comes a word. There's people that say, amen. And there's people that say, what's wrong with this guy? What's up with this guy? What, uh, he has a beef with me. I don't have a beef with you. Bless you. Help them, Lord. <laughs> the preaching comes to you. The preacher knocks on your door. The pastor comes to visit you. What's wrong with him? And nothing's wrong with him. What's wrong with you? We have a saying in our house. We, we go around going like this. And it's a kind of strange house, but we do this. It's just, I love Jesus. And then it, what was the response? You don't, love you don't love Jesus? What's wrong with you? You don't love Jesus? What's wrong with you? I want the pastor to come and speak into my life. I want to have a word, a man of God. That, that's the, the hand of God reaching out to me. And so many times this word would come. And I love Titus 2.11. It says, the grace of God that brings salvation appears to all men. Is this a lie or is this true? Is, is the grace, the goodness of God that leads re to repentance, does it appear to all men or is that a lie? And if it appears to all men, that means God cares about everybody. Amen. I've been preached at, preached to, preached with, and now you have also. This grace has appeared to you. What's it do? Verse 12 says, teaching you to get away from evil. Teaching you to deny things that are not from God. The, the things that pull you to the world. So that you go in the direction of that which is sober, righteous, and godly in this age. Not, not, not when Jesus is here, now. The grace of God is preached at us. And so our response will be such. Look what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 13. As they heard the disciples, they began to make fun of them. These guys are drunk. They must be on some serious drugs. That's what we're accused of sometimes when we respond to the gospel. These guys must be high. What are you smoking? What weed are you on? What pharmaceuticals? What drugs are you taking? And so Paul, uh, Peter stands up in verse 37. No, I'm, I'm sorry, verse 14. He starts telling them, from A to Z. I, I, I love when, when, when God checkmates you, right? Some of these appointments, when God sends a man of God to you, it's like, listen, 
checkmate. And you're like, mm. instead of struggling, say, you know something, God, you're true. That's what David said when he was confronted. He says, God, you're true in your judgment. You're true with what you're trying to tell me. Peter, standing up and raised his voice and said to the, all the men there, let this be known to you and listen to my words. Let this knowledge come to you and let your ears be open to receive what I'm about to tell you. When he finished speaking in verse 37, look at the consequence of listening to preaching in verse 37 after Peter was done telling them everything he needed to tell them. Verse 37 says, and the men... When they heard this, were cut to heart. Man, I feel like you put your finger all the way into my attitude, into my disposition. You, you've pinpointed where I'm at. And so he says, they were cut to the heart and said, Peter, said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what do we have to do? Now, I, I, you, you've already told me God sent you. You've spoken to me. I've heard it. It's touched my heart. Now, what do you want me to respond? And the response to preaching, verse 38, is repent. What do you want me to do? Peter said to them, repent, which means change your attitude inside. Start getting right with God. Quit fighting God. Quit fighting the preacher. Quit fighting and justifying. Quit arguing. Quit being indifferent. If God is speaking to you something that resonates, don't let your heart be hardened. Billy Graham says, I could preach to multitudes and two things are happening. In the hearts of some, they're melting like butter. Their hearts are, are, are th he's talking to me. And they're melting and they respond. And the hearts of others like clay gets hard. And they get hard and they get hard and nothing phases them. So where are we at between letting our hearts melt in God's presence, knowing that God, listen, when God speaks, even in my own sermons, when I start going home, I'll put on my sermon, and, and Yvette, my wife will say, why are you listening to this again? I says, it's God talking, and I need what he's telling his people. He's using me, but I need what's coming through because I'm, I'm just, I need to get lined up just like everyone else. Repent. Let, let everyone get right with God and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he had instruction. If you don't repent, you're saying, I don't want any more of this stuff. And God wants more. God wants to lead you into more. I got to hurry up. I only have two minutes. Help them, Lord. What's, our, what's our, the inheritance we've received from our forefathers? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 12, when God came to man and says, hey, you're all filthy, you're dirty, you're rebellious, you're disobedient, you're out of control, you are proud, you're self-sufficient, you're self-righteous. He says, that's because you gave me a wife. He pointed at his wife. I can't get to church because my wife doesn't let me. I can't serve God because my wife doesn't let me. The man said, the woman whom you gave to me, she's the one that gave me of the tree and I ate. It's not my, it's not my fault. It's her. And, and the Bible says that the wife is a reflection of the husband. So what does she do in verse 13? She says, the serpent. God said to the woman, how about you? Why have you done this? She says, the, the serpent deceived me. So everybody's flipping the bill. But nobody's repenting. And God is dealing with you. He's not dealing with anybody else. He knows your address. He knows your email. 
He's speaking to you. He's knocking on your door, on your heart. You respond and don't say, go talk to the neighbor. Go talk to someone else. But this is first man, first woman, and they both flip the bill. We call this, I think we call this um, transference or deflecting or passing the buck. That's not what you're supposed to do when the preaching comes. You're supposed to own it. I love the response that the people had when Jonah finally got to Nineveh. Jonah chapter 3, verse 4. Jonah began to enter the city, and he cried out and said, Yet in 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. He went around preaching. They didn't say, this is a knucklehead, this is a nut. He smells fishy. He's been in a, in a big fish for three days. He doesn't look right. Verse 5 says, when they heard the preaching, they repented. The people of Nineveh believed God. And they began to proclaim a fast and put sackcloth from the greatest, from the, the, the high nobilities of the land to the least of them. They all repented. They all did what was right according to the word of God. And it's powerful. Verse 6 says, For the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth. He covered himself with sackcloth and covered himself with ashes. Are you the king of your life? Would you be able to respond like that? And says, I am out of place God has called my number. He's, he's speaking to me directly. Is that your response? Verse 7, he caused there to proclaim and publish throughout Nineveh a decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd, flock, taste anything. Let them not have food or water. Verse 8, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Let them turn everyone from doing what's wrong, from the violence that is in their hands. What for? Verse 9. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away his fierce anger so we don't perish? Verse 10. And God saw their works and they turned from their evil way and God repented from doing evil that he said he would do unto them. He did it not. He, he changed the course of history because of their repentance. I just pray this morning that I don't know if it's, I can't stand philosophical arguments where you have to be reasoned into why you need to repent. God is saying you're out of order. You say amen. You say, God, get me right. Change me, transform me, fix me. Um, God, just, just it's, it's powerful that we would have a, the proper response to every, this, this is not something that comes uh, once every 10, 15 years. Repentance is a foundation that we walk on daily, all day long. God is speaking to us and we're saying, sorry, Lord, got to get right. Sorry, Lord, I shouldn't have said that. Got to get right. Sorry, Lord, I, I, I had the wrong expression. I had the wrong attitude. You continue to mold me. You continue to deal with me. You continue to perfect me. The wrong response to this whole thing becomes a twistedness. Uh, there in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul tells the Corinthian church, he says, look, I called you out. I called you out, and instead of you getting upset and offended, 
you started moving in the direction of where I was calling you out to, and you proved me that I was wrong in having called your attention, but look how your attitude is healthy. Look at the difference here. The, the guy, God allows somebody to come into your life and says, you know something? You should not come into the house with dirty shoes. And you say, I'm sorry. It won't happen again. And then you take off your shoes and you show them that they're not dirty. And they were calling you out, but your attitude was right. You hadn't done what was wrong. And that's what he's doing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. In verse 8, he says, even though my letter caused you sorrow... Even if I made you sorry with my letter, you, you were saddened. I don't regret that you were saddened. For I perceive that the same epistle that made you sorry only for a moment. You were sad when the preaching came because you were told you were doing something wrong. But then this caused you, verse 9, to check, to take inventory. Yet I'm not happy not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. That whenever the preaching came, maybe you weren't doing what the preaching said you were doing or the admonition or the instruction, but it caused you to take inventory. And that type of sorrow leads you to line up with God. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might not suffer loss from us in anything. The reason why a preacher would come and have, be concerned about your life is not he's accusing you, criticizing you, demeaning you. It's because he wants to make sure you don't miss out what God has for you. Amen. And it might be you're already doing it right. So all you have to say is, hey, psh, thank you. Come by as often as you want and check it out because I want the blessing of God to fall on this place. There's no bitterness. There's no resentment. There's no pride. There's gratefulness. And he says, verse 10, he says... Look at the expressions you had. For godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to God's salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. When you take it the way the world takes it, I'm offended. I'll never come back. How dare you? And look what you're... It's, it's just it's, it's horrible. Verse 11. There's a, there's a sorrow that leads to you slam dunking it. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, and it proved your diligence, that you're on the ball. I was checking. I was wrong. I don't regret it, because then you, got, you showed me you were being vigilant. What cleaning, clean, clearing of yourselves, you're saying, hey, examine me. Check me out. Make sure I don't have any tumors or roots of bitterness or resentment and things that are going to destroy my life. Look at the clearing it had. What indignation, what fear you were concerned, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication, and all these things, you proved yourselves to be clear before the Lord in these matters. Your dad says you didn't clean up your room. And you invite him. You say, Dad, thanks for checking on me. I know you're just working on my discipline, but I'm already there. Come here. Look at my room. Spotless. Clean. Everything in its place. And so that concern allows us to bring into the salvation of God. Let's stand this morning and thank the Lord to be in the house of God, to listen to the word of God from the man of God. And say, Lord, line up my heart. Line up my life. Line up my legacy, my lineage with the rightful place of repentance which is the proper response to preaching
One of these preachers says that we're going to continue to hear God's word all the way up until the time we enter heaven's gates. Amen. What for? So we have an opportunity to align ourselves and repent of anything and everything that could be possible. You guys don't know, and Wellington Boone tells me, it was my experience also, that when I'll be busting a man's chops because his wife won't tell him to repent, they run away from the presence of God. They run away from God. They don't want the scrutiny. They don't want God's laser focus on their lives. Father, we pray this morning that you help us all have a proper response to the admonition of the Lord, to the preaching of his word, to the proclamation of truth. We pray that our children also might walk in the same example that we have shown them, Lord, to be humble, to walk in humility, in obedience, in diligence, with all clarity of heart and mind. Remove any justification like Adam and Eve did in the garden where they said, it's the wife you gave me. It's the serpent you gave me. It's the, it's the weather outside, the climate. It's the time of year that our justification would not be excuses, but that godly sorrow would lead to repentance and that the preaching of your word, which is the goodness of the Lord, would lead us, O oh God, to turn our hearts towards you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Fill us with truth. Father, we pray for transformation. You don't bring these things in our lives to diminish, criticize, but to strengthen, to validate, to make authentic and genuine our profession of faith. We pray that this week would be a blessed week as we are the light of the world. We, Father God, are those who proclaim the good and acceptable year of the Lord. We pray, Father God, that you would increase our barns, Father God, our accounts with the provision to change the world. Thank you, Lord, for the plans you have for our lives and give us a heart to align ourselves with the word of God. We pray that all those that heard this message would press in with their relationship with Jesus Christ, would press in to be perfected and transformed into the purpose of God, the instrument of God for these last days, Lord. We pray, Father God, that nothing would would keep us back from fulfilling your heart's desire in our lives, that we would hear the clarity of the word of God and our lines, lives would line up with truth, oh God. We pray in Jesus' name and the house of God says amen, amen, and amen. Hallelujah.